Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborgian Life Live. Today's episode is Perception versus Spin and the Misuse of Reason. My name is Carl Childs and I'll be your host. And your other I'll be your host is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, everybody. Hey, Curtis. Thanks so much for, for being here. And we're fo- this is the follow-up show. We always do these echo shows to the right. pre-recorded. Now it's the live show because we got to digest, but not just digest, take things further. So we're talking today. We did a show last week called How to Find True Intuition, where if you watched it, you may remember we discussed Swedenborg's concept of perception. That's right. Which is kind of equals intuition. Yeah, right. E- we like said that's related concepts. Because well, Swedenborg doesn't always use the same words for things that people are talking about, the kids are talking about nowadays, but he is usually talking about the same thing. That's right. And he usually has a fascinating new angle to put on it. So we're going to take that a little farther here. Our theme today is intellectual debate versus perception. Mm. When are they at odds and when can they act in concert? Oh. You done for that? Yeah, I'm done. Are you guys down? Well, this is the only thing on the menu. Tonight, last week we learned that developing the mind is crucial. Right. Right. You're not. We're not going to say, okay, stop learning. Just, just uh, follow this the Swedenborg thing. Um, but developing the mind is not the end game. Uh, it's the, mm. it's a stepping stone to this state of perception. So it's not like we're going to get a better and better calculator to figure things out, and that's going to be perfected. This will get us to this thing we're calling perception. Right. Which will involve a it's kind of a shift in there somewhere. And you know? we're going to try to detail this shift for you. Um, we're going to dig deeper into how do you stay on that course as you develop your learning? How do you go mm. in a heavenly direction? Do you feel ready to talk about that? Yeah. I'm not even close. So let's do an icebreaker, which is where we answer a question, you answer a question, and everybody <laughs> gets in sync. All right. If, you, if you're new in the chat, which I know at least one person is, because we saw you commenting, if you've never done the live show, this is how it works. Uh, we're going to answer a question on screen, live, never been seen before, uh, and, well, it has. But you guys in the YouTube chat room are also going to answer the question, and at the end of the show, we'll give you that time, we'll compile those and read them out loud, because we don't want to just know what we think about it, we want to know what you think about it. And then we'll know what we think about what you think about it. I'm trying to be too funny to start this. <laughs> it's going well. Tone it down a little bit. <laughs> uh, you have to say that. Okay, here's the question. When is debate useful and when is it not? Oh. Aren't we in mm. a debatey sort of world right now? Isn't there a lot of uh, verbal jousting going on? Yeah, and you could be justified in wondering whether all that's really doing anything. Is it going anywhere? And you could also be justified in saying, well, you always have to debate. You have to debate because that's how you find out what's true. Yeah, there's this conversation that's going on about this issue and a conversation about that issue. Yes. And this is how you work things out and arrive at a sort of kind of collective wisdom. That your your points should always stand up to scrutiny and attack. That's how you know they're true points. So where do do we fall on there? Because obviously what we're doing right now, it seems like there's there's problems. We haven't figured the magic formula out. What do you think? Well, uh, I don't know what I think. I, uh, Swedenborg, it, it fascinates me yeah. that he... We think what Swedenborg. That he says, um, <laughs> that he describes in spiritual experiences two different kinds of debate. Okay. And they're very, very different. The outcome is very different. One kind is where you get two sides. I remember this one where everybody's sort of standing up on benches yeah. and they're yelling at each other. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. Wait, 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 and it never—that's kind of our go, show. Yeah. Goes anywhere. That is 
Yeah, that's, that's striking. I'll have to think about that. Because when I saw those quacking hands, I was like, that's Curtis and John. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> and it never goes anywhere. But uh, other times, and maybe this is just a seeding problem with our show, yeah. but other times you have a group to the north and then a group to the west and then a group to the south and then a group to the east that have different wisdom and each one contributes their thought and then they appreciate, oh, that was a great point and let me yeah. build on that. And it goes around and it actually goes somewhere and you gain wisdom and everybody appreciates everybody yeah. else. And so, um, so I would say that is a useful, to, to me that's a good indicator. You know, if you're listening as well as contributing, yeah, because uh, I love it when you get a bunch of people together. I, I used to be part of brown bag lunches that happened at this this college that I taught at, and it was great where you you give your best shot about something, and then somebody has another angle, and you realize, oh yeah, oh that is so true though. I want to you know take back half of what I said because now we're going to get to a better point here. And it's funny that even in you'd think in heaven or in the spiritual world you wouldn't need to go through those steps of people kind of hashing it out that it would just automatically happen, yeah. but that's so critical. It seems to me that we're coming up against Swedenborg's assertion that the intent behind something is what makes it what it is. Oh, that old when thing again. I, when I think about rational arguing and when does it fit and when doesn't it, it really fits when, when both people have the same uh, goal of motivation. Yeah. When the common right. good is your motivator. Right. Then you're gen, but you gen, so you want, both want to do what's best for the human race, right. but you genuinely disagree about the best way to do it, then you can appeal to each other and, and get something done because you're really both on the same side. But if, if you one person A wants their tribe or group or themselves to be better, then it does. Th this is all just for show. Just the ideas. It's in clashing. the end. Nobody's yeah. intending to move anywhere. One, no. one of the greatest things in life, I think, is how teams can work together and achieve something that's greater than any individual could have achieved, yeah. you know. Right. I, think, I think that's a very cool thing. And I think even debate done from the right perspective can, can totally get you, the, you know, it really can be a great thing that moves things forward. So, but not something you can just wade into, and we're going to look now at the nuances of how Swedenborg sort of toggles between the world of perception and debate. And we'd love to hear your responses to that question, so get them in, and at the end, we'll take a look. Let's go now to section two. We're not knocking rationality. Well, we knock it some, but we're, not, we're not dismissing but, it. No, 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 not, not dismissing it. That's right. <laughs> well, I think like if we ever got um, enough attention to have enemies, like full on like enemies, <laughs> it'd be very Real easy enemies. for them to pull pull clips from our yes, show right. to discredit us. It's like, we're not knocking rationality, but yes, we are. Yes, right. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's obviously an amazing tool and a God-given tool. It can be misused. And in the 18th century, when Swedenborg was writing, it was really going overboard in, in a negative direction. That is a really important point to make because um, uh, we don't realize education is done a different way now. Right. But really the way that education was done back then was that uh, most of school was teaching you how to argue. And they would get the students up there on stage and they'd say, okay, so you argue, you know, in favor of the death penalty. I'm just picking something out of the air. Sure. And you favor, uh, talk against it, Yeah. you know, and try to assemble arguments. So it was completely irrelevant whether you believed in that or you didn't. 
you just had to amass your arguments and that kind of dialectic was was a major part of the of an education. This, so this is the world Swedenborg was in, and here's something he writes that relates to that. It's the Secrets of Heaven, 1385. And again, if that's going on on Earth, it's going on in the spiritual world, too. Ah, that's right. Because we live in the world of effects, and the causes behind them are spiritual. Mm -hmm. There are spirits belonging to the region of the skin, particularly the squamous layer. Now, how specific is Swedenborg? <laughs> this <laughs> correspondence is not a, a broad brush. No, it is that's a right. It's sometimes quite specific. Yeah. Uh, who want to argue everything. They do not perceive what is good or true. And in fact, the more they argue, the less they perceive it. So this is a lack of perception by definition yes. that we're talking about here. So now we're and back amazing into that the more they're, they're arguing is not taking them toward truth. Right. Because the more they argue it and they build their case, the farther away they get from understanding. Which you'd think, oh no, the more you argue, the better argument will win out. Sure, but, yeah. But that's not always the case. It's no. just the more skilled arguer. The less, or they identify wisdom with sophistry. Oh yes, yeah. sophistry would be like using fallacious arguments to persuade someone or manipulate them or, you know. Yeah, a semblance of caring about what's actually true when it's really just, uh, how can I manipulate data points? You, you, yeah, you've got, a, you've got an agenda. Which they count on to make them seem wise. Mm. I told them that the role of angelic wisdom is to perceive whether a thing is good or true without sophistic reasoning. Again, uh, this perception and the difference. We start to see the difference between perception and reasoning. Yeah, that's right. And that perception from what we were talking about in the, in the show last time is like sometimes just ding, like it makes sense. Right. It just, it just, you don't need to pound it out to see whether it's true or not. Right, but they cannot grasp the possibility that this kind of perception exists. <laughs> right. so what, what are you even talking about? They are the same people that used use the academic and philosophical disciplines during bodily life to cast confusion over truth and goodness. Mm. And as a result, seem to themselves to be more knowledgeable than others. So that's interesting. It's not that the academic and philosophical disciplines are bad in and of themselves, but they use them like any other tool yeah. with this you know, desire to cast confusion. And, and, uh, and we're also arrogant yeah. in the bargain. The spiritual motive behind it is what determines the nature of the thing again yeah. here they had not these people had not started with any valid assumptions taken from the word consequently they do not have much common sense two things ah. worth talking about there one is what's this they didn't start with valid assumptions from the word two it's interesting that he's that swedenborg is putting in a plug for common sense because he was highly educated could have, could have spent his whole time up on the penthouse, right. never coming down to the floors of common sense. But Swedenborg, and not just there, all over his writing says, that th these innate instincts we have for certain things, like that there's God, that God is ruling the universe, right. that there's life after death, and the other things that we more usually put under the banner of common sense, those matter, right? Yeah, and here he is, the Swedish nobleman. I remember translating a passage where he talks about, hey, go try telling your precious theory to some farmhand, he, he's going to laugh you out of the building. Like, yeah. that makes no, you know, right? like they can just see. It makes no sense. Yeah, emperor has no clothes. So, yeah. um, so what so about these assumptions, valid, right? he said, these guys who were just spinning facts or factoids to try to get what they wanted had not started with valid assumptions from the word. What's he talking about? Yeah, he talks so much about the place of rationality. And if you get it wrong, yeah. it's putting rationality as the primary thing. 
And so now your syllogistic reasoning is going to take you demonstrably from A to B using various terminological, yeah. you know, um, uh, machinations and so on. And, and uh, he says, if you go down that road, it, it's, it's very bad. What you need to do is, so for instance, if you start with, um, uh, I'm going to logically prove or disprove the existence of God. If, if logic is really your starting place for that, you're not going to get to the right place. But if you think, hey, it's revealed to us that there is a God and that God is love, okay, I'll start there. Yeah. You know, or other things like the Golden Rule, the Ten yeah. Commandments. And if you start from things like that, you won't go astray as you work. But the, the, the reasoning is supposed to be secondary to something else, something it's, higher. That's a, it's an interesting point. And Swedenborg makes it many times that rationality, even though it seems like it can, it can't operate in a vacuum. That you have to have right. these starting major points to work from or else you, you can go anywhere and, and there's no guarantee you're going to actually be close to deducing the nature of reality, that you have to have pre-existing software in there of some kind. Yeah, that, that's right. And also he says that, that, but, he says, this makes it sound like we're, we're just dump piling on rationality here, but, but correctly used with the right kind of starting assumptions, mm. you have to develop your rational faculty and you have to do so the way we think you would, through gathering information, ga gathering knowledge, that develops your mind. And then uh, everything... You, it's He's a, very big on that. Yeah. yeah, it's not like, don't learn algebra, don't learn anything, I don't know about algebra, but don't learn anything that has to do with the world, just think about spiritual kind of stuff, because doing the education thing and... and getting to know the details of how this level of reality works creates these containers in our mind, much like That's your right. ice cream container from last episode, right, right. that allow the higher principles to rest in, that if you didn't have those, they couldn't. This is why Swedenborg was this highly educated guy, because he had all these containers lined up that he was then able to understand these spiritual truths, even though they're universal, he could describe them, put them together in a way that was because of all this stuff. And uh, a fun little footnote is that he himself published the Footnotes first algebra, are always fun. <laughs> first algebra in, 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 in Sweden. Did he? He did, yeah. He was big on algebra. And he actually introduced algebra yeah. into Sweden. Well, you're welcome, everyone, who's had to take algebra in Sweden. <laughs> but, but, so we say all that, but depending only on our intellectual memory and reasoning power, it's far from giving us superior access to the truth, can actually, Swedenborg says, block access Yeah, to like truth. those guys before who were, the more they reason, the farther yeah. they get from the truth. Yeah. Don't, don't ask us, ask Spiritual Experiences 5848. There are those who reason, and when he's talking about there are those who, he's often talking about them in the spiritual world. Like yes, after they've right. passed. Because and they're obviously very devoted to it. It's not yes. like something, oh, I did that a Saturday night three months ago. No, he's talking about this is kind of the way they approach life. Yep. And um, these guys uh, are just much more transparent in the spiritual world. You can yeah, tell that's exactly right. what someone's yeah, up to. Yeah, that's right. There are those who reason about whether truths are true or not. When one speaks and reasons about a matter on the basis of his own knowledge and on the basis of his own confirmations, the other does likewise. Each of the two on the basis of his confirmations believes his own dictum to be true. And those confirmations are like, well, this makes sense and therefore yeah. this and that stands to reason and so yeah. blah, blah, blah. Which is all comes back to I'm right about this, yeah. because I am myself. Thus, both stand still, each confirming so his own and refuting the others. Yeah, they don't move. There's no movement, right? They both stand still, because they figured out what they were thinking already, 
boom. That, that's it. We'll stand here not budging. We can and we will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, a new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn zacks <laughs> and left them there standing, unbudged in their tracks. <laughs> it's Dr. Seuss. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, he, crazy, Dr. Seuss it? wrote a story about these two guys that were so firm in their that's positions right. that they're like, we're, we, we, we are up against the, I'm not going around, you're not going around, and they just had to build an overpass over top of them because that's how it goes. <laughs> that's For, awesome. And this is why. For all falsity can be confirmed so as to appear true. Whoa, now that's a really important statement, isn't it? That, that there's nothing so sort of patently false that you can't build an argument around it to say, oh no, this is, this is okay. Look, I can build an argument. So you can build an argument around anything, absolutely that, anything. That is a bombshell. Mm. Anything can be confirmed so it appears true. This is why there's a danger in rationalizing things because there's nothing, as you're just, I just want to repeat the point you just said because it's so important. There's nothing that's so false that you can't convince yourself of it. Yeah. That we don't have that perception yeah. that lets us know when we're way That's off right. the rails. As mm. a result, they come to a stop and cannot go further. Mm. But those who are in possession of truths, as are the heavenly angels, do not reason about them, huh. but see them, and so progress from a single truth to a thousand others and see them. That's really There's the same as our perception, isn't yeah. it? Like, and intuition actually comes from a Latin root, meaning to gaze upon, yes. to look at it. And um, yeah, and so it's like what you said at the end of the last show about just seeing a tree right there. It's not that uh, it would be so absurd to say, I reason that there is probably flora and fauna. Yes. There is probably something in the yard. You know, yeah. it would be absurd. Uh, angels just start from what they can see and they go from there and they can go, it multiplies a thousand fold what they can see. This fascinating point of Swedenborg's worldview is that you're not taking your powers of deduction and induction and everything else to be able to say, well, I know that, yeah, there, there are crumbs leading up to the cupboard and as such, there's probably cookies in it. It's just, you can see through the cupboard. Yeah. You can see there's, you can see it's, right it's that kind of holistic experience that it's a, a observation of pure truth. It's not composing hmm. it from little molecules, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's the difference. So, right, but the but the problem with all that is that it sort of suggests that oh, just forget your rationality. And yet we were just saying it's so important to learn, you know, to to build up right. the knowledge and so right. on. To say that oh, angels don't even use that. It's like yeah. oh no, throw throw that out. Uh, but it kind of begs the question: What is rationality? What what role does it play? It's got to it's got to do, do something. We were saying it has a positive. Uh, value as well, but it hasn't really seemed like that in the quotes. What do you think? You've studied yeah, a lot of well, Swedenborg. I, I did look a little while ago at what Swedenborg says about it, and he says some really interesting things. And one of the things he says is like a point of connection between the spiritual world and us. You know, a lot of spiritual traditions yeah. Yeah, will tell you that rationality is actually in your way. You should get that out of the way. Right you know, be more right-brained or, or, or something, a yeah. more artistic thing would fit, fit with spirituality. And yet Swedenborg says, no, no, no. It's a really a point of connection. It's sort of like, um, well, this, this thing right here. Well, that's that's uh, part of our broadcast. Yeah, though, so don't, it's, don't it's, mess it's with part of our much. broadcast. So it's a good analogy, I think, okay. because you've got wires Just coming in and going out and you've got a box. Yeah. And so this thing is not 
the show. No. This thing is just a go-between. There's a show starting somewhere. Yes. It's going to from A to B. Yeah. Now this one says HDMI in, so yeah, that's right. that's in. Now, this one's out, so yeah. I should pull this one no, no, out. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm so sorry. What <laughs> live TV? This so you can't you can't pull that up because this is a crucial part of our broadcast. Without this thing, the stuff that happens in the studio can't go out mm. to the world to the people watching on their computers. Yeah, and it's kind of lucky that that happened because this is a good illustration of rationality that it is not spirituality. It sits in between spirituality and some endpoint. Uh, but it's a crucial element, and without it, you have no <laughs> broadcast at all, so to speak. You set me up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's important. It, it's this, yeah. It's this indispensable link in there. It's part of the machinery. It's not going to go anywhere. It allows us to be able to receive answers to, to questions yeah. we pose. Swedenborg even it, says, without it, we would be incapable of fighting against evil and falsity. Which is pretty astonishing when you think about it. Like, you need uh, something to receive what's heavenly in. I, I had the blessing at one point of having a conversation with Eben Alexander after his near-death experience. Nice. And he was talking about how it took him months afterwards to develop a rationale for what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. He needed a container to put that in. Because yeah. otherwise, it's just this wild experience. He doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And also, on your second point about incapable of fighting evil and falsity, that's really powerful, isn't it? Like, if you didn't have an ability to distinguish between good and evil, because evil always wants to look just like good, yeah. you know, false things want to look just like truth, uh, without rationality, you'd be kind of defenseless. Oh, because you never, on a, on a purely emotional level, you can't tell the difference. Because yeah. evil just feels like, I want that. That would be yeah, fun. Right. That well, would be good. Is, this is fun. Without, yeah, right. without being able to weigh the consequences, understand your impact, you wouldn't be able to do that. So, so that's pretty crucial. It's, yeah. it's serious. And, and we actually go further into it in another episode, if you guys want to check it out, Why Are Spiritual Things Hard to Believe? This was more contrasting of the good and bad uses of rationality. Mm. So, so we've got to develop it. And after developing our rationality, we, got, we get it there, it gets powerful, but then we need to let go of our dependence on it. Ah. it. It needs to not be in control, it needs to serve the process. Okay, so that would be where the switch takes place. Yeah. Like you sort of go up these stairs to get there, right. and you need to build this rationality. So a lot of the purpose of education is to build that rationality. Yeah. But at some point, it needs to become subservient to something higher. Yes. If it takes over, it's going to take you down the garden path and not in a good direction. And because if it's not subservient, it blocks the th these crucial things like humility. If you think you're super smart, it's very hard yeah. to be humble. Goodwill, open-mindedness, because you think you know the world. Oh, and those right. things are actually, you have to have and, those and characteristics. compassion on others and th things like that, right? You yeah. have to have that in order to allow the real wisdom to flow in from mm. God. This is Divine Love and Wisdom 427. These are the people who live in the third heaven, and they are the wisest of all. People get that way in this world by applying whatever divine principles they hear directly to their lives with an aversion to evils as hellish and a total reverence for the Lord. Yes, so that's, you don't quite hear the debate society in there, do you? They, right. they, they apply it. They, they don't sit around and debate about it. What, should, should we follow this course of action yes. or not? And no, they just apply it directly to their lives, and they have this useful aversion to hellish evils and right. this reverence for the Lord that keep them on track. Going forward, 
Because they live in innocence, they look to others like little children. Now it's time to stop and give a Swedenborg terminology definition session, which is that he says innocence, which you think of naivete. We don't right. know the world. We're too, we're, our brains are too small to understand things, so we're innocent. But which, yeah, how we're, we we're simplistic or Pollyanna or, or so, whatever it is. But uh, what Swedenborg generally means by that term, uh, he does associate it with childlike qualities and so on. But he says that what it really means, its spiritual version, is a willingness to be led by the Lord, yeah. a, a sense that something's greater than you are, yeah. a sense of awe and, and those kind of things. Uh, and and he, so it, it's not that they're fools or yeah. something, you know. But you could see how hard it would be to get a sense of innocence with a, a, a rationality and overdrive that was yes. self-focused. Right, right, this, this, very, this pride of yeah. self-intelligence that Swedenborg talks about. And because they never talk about truths of wisdom, there is no trace of self-importance in their conversation. They seem simple. Yes, However, when they right. hear others... Other people are full of the braggadocio or right, whatever. Right, right. right. But uh, Swedenborg says it's wisdom to acknowledge that what we know is next to nothing, nothing. compared to what we don't know. And you do That's see right. some people on the leading edge of, let's say, astronomy or something, just fully grasping even more than you and I how little we know about how right. much is out there. Which is so cool. Yeah, when you read this, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful quality. They can sense their whole love from the tone of their voice and their whole intellect from what they are saying. So this is about their perception of other people that right. you're hanging around them and you just think, oh, well, I don't need to bother that person. These, these, they yeah. don't even seem to have any vocabulary or education yeah. at all or something. So and, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Meanwhile, they know exactly who you are. <laughs> I mean, yes. they, 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 they've, they've got you down pat. They know what your ruling right. love is. They know where you're going. Yeah, right. So these innermost angels seem simple, but yet can perceive things that, that the greatest mind couldn't figure out and do it really quickly. So they actually have a greater capacity. Yes, and I think it's because that, it's not that they don't have a rational faculty. It's that it's wide open yeah. to what's flowing in every second. So as they look at the person, as they hear the tone of the voice, yeah. it's all shaping in their mind. They, they, they get that whole picture. And because it's wisdom because they figured out the system. They know this is how human beings were built, is right. to participate in this partnership with God in heaven that allows this stuff to flow through instead of feeling like we're a, an isolated, self-generating factory or something like that. So which is really smarter to try to go about things, uh, you know, to say, I can take a computer and I can do really cool things with it. I can spin it on my finger. I can use it as a door prop or something versus saying, look, you push this button, and it turns on, and then we actually start doing stuff. Yeah, that's the position that's they're right. in. And I dare say probably they've used their abilities to understand themselves. Yeah. Like if you understand your own pride, then you can smell it in other people. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, like exactly. you know where people are coming from. So we want to, yeah. So we want to, um, again, not let rationality lead us off track, but use it as a stepping stone to that profound, simple wisdom of love that those angels have. You can't right. rationally explain loving a person but you know that you do, right? Yeah, and right. It's, a, it's notoriously impossible to define in a dictionary or something. Yeah, you know? and, and somebody knows if, if they reciprocate it, and that's the kind of knowing that comes in perception. That knowing, yeah. Well, how would you all like to see that this whole dynamic between uh, use or abuse of rationality play out in the spiritual world? Here and only here, you can accompany us to the spiritual world itself, and we're going on a road trip right now. Our story today comes from None Other Than True Christianity 334, which I say none other 
because this guy translated that, mm. this very thing I'm going to read. So let's see if I butcher it or not. This is the story uh, of Swedenborg. He's in the spiritual world. He's with angels, and he's heard a group of people shouting. This is how it leads. Okay. One of the angels said to me, follow me to the place where, the, where people are shouting, they are so wise. That's what people are shouting. So we, we see them here. <laughs> they are so wise. He added, the people you're going to see are bizarre. You will see faces and bodies that make them look human, though they are not. I said, they are animals then? I this is Swedenborg Sweden, talking. Yeah, yeah. I being Swedenborg. He answered, they are not true animals. They are human animals. They are completely unable to see whether a truth is true or not, yet they can take anything they want and make it appear to be true. We call them providers of arguments. Ah, and this is where the word spin in our title tonight That's right. might come in. Providers of arguments. Like, oh yeah, I, I can... I can argue this yes. way, I can argue that way. And this whole human animals versus animals, it's just wordplay. They, they're people sure. that grew up as people, but now have thrown away the things that seem to make you human. Yeah, the thing that makes you essentially human would be that ability to actually tell what's good and true. So we followed the sound of shouting and came to the place. There we found a group of men. The group was surrounded by a crowd of people, some of whom were of noble lineage. So it was a happening party. Yes. When the nobles heard that the men in the group were providing arguments to support everything the nobles had said, and were favoring them with such obvious agreement, the nobles turned to one another and said, they are so wise. They are so wise. The angels, and yeah. You can, you can see I, the, the word spin, even when I was translating this, yeah. I wished I could use the word spin in there, because it's kind of what, I think it's the same thing that we refer to that way, yeah. that you find out what they care about, and then you say, oh, I, okay, I can, I can portray this, that this is, you know, you're, you're thinking the right things. That's right. Oh, noble people. So now we're about to engage with these, these spinners. Okay. The angel said to me, we should not go up to them. Instead, we should call one of them away from the group. I wonder if that's an instance of perception right there. Yeah. That he knows. It seems like a wisdom to... Yeah. Yeah, you could wade in there, and then you're fighting with the whole group yeah. or something. But or that their so sphere let's will just influence. Call some, yeah, let's right. call somebody out. We called one away and left with him. We said various things. Uh, here's the guy right here. We said various things, and he provided arguments to support all the details to the point where what we had said seemed absolutely true. Then we asked him whether he could provide arguments to support points that were opposite to these. He said, just as well as I could for the first points. And take <laughs> Back a look, to his education. Take a look at this guy a little closer. I mean, we don't know what he actually looked like, but here we've depicted him as shifting. Like all his components can go just as far in the I other direction as they I can. can go this way, I can go that way, whatever. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. Then openly and from the heart, he said. So now we start to learn his worldview. This is the guy, the, yeah. the spinmeister. Yeah. What is truth? Does any truth exist in the nature of things beyond what people make out to be true? Say whatever you like, and I will make out that it is true. I said, Swedenborg said, make this true, that faith is the most important thing in the church. Now, that's not something that you and I might say that's not right. really on people's radar. Right. But in Swedenborg's Back then, day... that was a big deal. That was one of the hot topics. And it was not just running the church, it was running everything because the church was the state. So this was an idea with oh, yeah. huge implications. Huge there. political, yeah, that's right. He did this, proved that faith was the most important thing in the church, with such skill and ability that the scholars who were nearby were amazed and burst into applause. <laughs> then He was very skillful. Oh no, yeah. so this guy's not a schmuck. Right? No, no, that's right. Nobody's a schmuck. That's a rude thing to say. Then I asked him to make it true that goodwill was the most important thing in the church. As opposed to faith, which was the other big the, uh, the big thing was, is yeah. it faith or does it matter how you treat people? Yes. And, you know, that's goodwill is sort of that pole umbrella. He did it. 
Then I asked him to make it true that goodwill has nothing to do with the church. So the opposite of what he just said. <laughs> in both cases, he fleshed out and adorned his argument with seemingly good material to the point where others present looked at each other and said, he is wise, isn't he? <laughs> they don't even care that he's contradicting himself. They're just like, this is awesome. <laughs> this guy is amazing. I want to hire him. Do you, do you have your card? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we can afford this guy. I said to him, don't you know that goodwill is living a good life and having faith is believing the right things? See, now Swedenborg's t- talking about his bedrock. Yes, that's he's, right. Swedenborg's not a shapeshifter like this. That's right. He, he's got bedrock. Isn't it true that people who live a good life have good faith? Therefore, having faith is part of goodwill, and goodwill is part of having faith. Don't you see that this is the truth? It's so interesting that here he's just imploring him. He's not laying, Swedenborg is not can't, laying can't out all see, these arguments. Can't you see that tree right in front of us yeah. there? Yeah. Wait, what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I will make it true and then see, he replied. <laughs> he did so. He reasoned it he out and said, magic, yeah. he said, now I see it. So in the end, he agreed with Swedenborg. Just kidding. Yet he soon made its opposite true and said, I also see that this is true. Oh, man. We laughed, meaning Swedenborg and the angel, and said, aren't they opposites? How can you see two opposite things as both being true? Annoyed, he answered, you're mistaken. And this is a little darker, I feel like. Mm. They are, in fact, both true, since nothing is true except what people make out to be true. Whew. And he's saying, who cares about what's really going on? Whatever we, I want to accomplish, that's that what's going to happen. I can create truth. I if, can make that truth. If these nobles want a reason to do something that's going to hurt a bunch of people to get what they want, I'm going to make that I happen. I can make that happen. And it goes, so that's the end of our story, but it goes on, they, they try to catch him in a little trap, right? Well, yeah, they, they, they get into a big discussion about crows being white and all this other stuff. Yeah. And then Swedenborg says, uh, could, you, could you argue that you are insane? <laughs> and the guy said, I could, but I don't want to. <laughs> Who isn't insane? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so, uh, I, you know, there could be an argument made that we're insane for reading this story, that's but right. we're not going to make it. We just don't that's want to right. right now. Okay, that's our story. Hopefully it stirred up some questions for you, as did the first part. Let's do our live Q&A right now. So if you're in the YouTube chat room, get some questions in. We're going to answer them now. This is the part where we will hear your questions and I'll vigorously debate one side and Jonathan will vigorously <laughs> yeah, debate the other side right. and then we'll switch. And we'll make it true, yeah. So let's see what you guys have to, to have to say and have to ask. This is the first question. It's from YouTube. Gabriel H. asks, You all said that Swedenborg got in trouble in Europe because of the things he wrote. What was, it, what was the result of it all? And what happened in the end? Oh, this is, this is good fun. Um, uh, actually, it was there were there were two people in Gothenburg, and uh, one of them wanted to get the other one out of his job. He had a, a good job with a good income, okay. and this other guy wanted it for his friend and okay. not him. And so they were trying to find some dirt on this guy to get him yeah. out of the position. And the guy was a was a clean, good person. Yeah. The only dirt they could find on him was that he read Swedenborg. That'll do it. And so they brought a suit against him for teaching heresy because he was a theological teacher yeah. and they wanted to get him kicked out on that basis. And so it wasn't even that Swedenborg was on trial, but his works did, you know, were on trial in effect yes. because this guy, Dr. Beyer, whose job they were trying to get, had been teaching those things. 
And one of the funny things that happened was that people at that time knew that he had written a lot, and uh, even if they hadn't read it. Yeah. And so the person who brought the original complaint, the consistory said to him, well, why don't you read all those books and then tell us what you think? Because they didn't want to read them. Yes. And actually, the whole case dragged on for quite a while until everybody who was party to the case had died before anybody was willing to actually read everything that Swedenborg wrote. So that, and so it kind of died on the vine in a way. And the, here, here you are watching a show about the stuff that the court found too boring to read before they died. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> maybe they were missing something or maybe we we're missing something. Yes, right. Um, and so that's that's like the legal trouble, but then, all, I mean, there was certainly like reputation trouble. He got skewered by a bunch of people. He yeah, lost if, a lot of friends. If memory serves, there was even a, a point at, to, uh, there was a movement. There was a motion on the floor of the, you know, the, the assembly to have him declared in, insane and put to death and Oh. Uh, that failed. He had friends in high places and everything, but well, it was serious. certainly that people were 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 trying to were out to get him. Yeah, and he even writes about people. His own brother-in-law, uh, who was married to his sister, uh, he lists seemingly rather calmly at the end of his spiritual experiences all the ways that this guy tried to kill him, tried to run yeah. him down in a carriage, tried to stab him, tried to yeah. you know just all. Yeah, so it, it was intense. There, there were people coming at him. Yeah, well, there you but go. But somehow he was protected, and he, and he got through it all. He did all right for and himself? And I'm glad he did. Oh, man, what, what, this show would be so empty yeah. <laughs> without him uh, making, that, making that second half of life work. Okay, so there's, uh, there's your answer. Thanks for the question. Let's go to the next one. Hayabusa Fun asks, do animals experience God? Do animals sense a presence of God? Do they believe in a God as humans believe in a God? Are we viewed as God by birds and bees, how would we know if we were? How right. would we know it if we were? Well, you, you'd have to uh, observe the rituals and the customs, right? So there's a lot of questions in there at once. Uh, I do want to say that s there's only one life. Which, that's right. Which is God's life. Yep. So anything that's alive is somehow participating in that life. That's right. Uh, the, However, the sort of the state in which we are where you can have rationality and have a will and have them separate and sort of self-reflect and then think about, okay, why am I here? Is there a God? Rather than just live in moment to moment, seems to be a relatively uniquely human condition, right? Yes, I, th I think so from what Swedenborg says, um, that uh, human beings are have this unique ability to be able to contemplate God to think about God, to form a partnership with God. Yeah. Uh, animals just l live in God yeah. all the, you know, it's just the, every day, all day, every day. They're in the, what Swedenborg says, they're in the order of their lives. Yep. And so they're, they're, they're doing it all, even though, you know, some are predatory and some are sweet and whatever. They're, they're, they're doing their thing. They're in the order of their thing. Uh, so I don't think they would, you know, the old saw about what what does a fish know about water yeah you know, they, they're swimming in God all the time I don't know if they are aware in that same way because part of Swedenborg's idea of why God created humans was so that there was some part of his creation was able to connect back and to, to, yeah. to see the face of God they were like closing sense. some kind of loop so that that's what we have to say about it but you'd have to ask and, an animal right and I think from that other part of the question about do we seem godlike 
I, I imagine we do. I have a, a friend who had a vision, and in his vision, he sensed that all these uh, animals and the bees and everybody, they all had a, to put it in Swedenborgian terms, their, their goodness and their truth were united in them. And they all look up to humans and love humans, but they know huh. that humans are the only creatures that don't have their truth and goodness together. Yeah. And they want to help us to get that together. Now, yeah. I don't know if you know, that, that was a vision somebody had, but I thought it was right. very compelling and very interesting. Cats do not look up the humans in the same no. way. <laughs> some, some animals more than they, others. They that, that's right. Well, it is interesting right. that there are, there's only a few species of animals that legitimately see humans as prey. But there are. I think it's uh, you know, saltwater crocodiles, polar bears. There's a couple out there yeah. and I, that, that, will, that will just naturally stalk and try to kill humans. So I wonder what it, it's all got to have a correspondence of some kind, which yeah, is fascinating. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, Deep that, questions, good ones. Great questions. We, I hope we answered at least a few of those in there. Let's see what our next one is. Miss D asks, the spirit of the deceased spouse dwells with the living one. How? As it as it's after the living partner's death that they go through a test period to see if they match as soulmates, do they already dwell with one partner or more? So this is mm. so you, this is a uh, very specific question. I mean, you have to yeah. know a couple of points to get there. So right. Swedenborg says that yes, the deceased in, in married couples, the deceased partner spirit can dwell with the still living partner. However, and, Sweden, the, and especially I would say when there was a deep love there yes you know there, there are some arranged marriages or something where just like it didn't work out yeah I, I i think it's in the case of a of a deep kind of a love but you contrast that with these um sort of um exploratory periods that swedenborg describes where after death people who were married if they had multiple marriages or something will all meet meet back up and and see were we really compatible is there somebody right. else so like how could you know before the test but my guess is that test is just for the people involved it's not like god or angels don't know yet whether right. they're so i would think if you actually have this compatibility you're dwelling together even if you don't realize it and then afterwards you're together i don't think that it's everything's contingent on that test but i don't right. know right and he says spiritually that thought brings presence and and love brings conjunction or, yeah. or partnership and um so I think partly how it works is that there's an attachment, you know, when you think about the other person and all that, so that in, in that sense, the spirits dwell together. But it's obvious that it's not a totally conscious all day, every day thing for both parties because he describes these wonderful reunions. In fact, I think yeah. we're going to have a show coming up about that, aren't we? We certainly are. And, and uh, that these, there's joyful reunions that's definitely like, oh, they've been apart in some sense. You yes. Know? And, uh, and I agree with you. I've thought a lot about, in, in a, on a more general note, what Swedenborg says about how people are processed after death. And it seems like a lot of it is for their own awareness. Yeah. You know, there's some about the community seeing who you are and stuff, but I think a lot of it is that, okay, as a couple, oh, I see who you are. Mm -hmm. You see who I, you know, and all that. And, 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 uh, then you you go forward from there and that that's important even if the compatibility was great you still sort of need to go through that stage to it's, figure that out it's not just with spouses all kinds of 
um, trials to show you what's really going on happen. Swedenborg opens his book, Married Love, with this series about the false heavens. Yes, Where people who right. had, let's say you had an idea that heaven is just continually, you're in prayer, you're worshiping God. Instead of them just say, saying you're wrong or you seeing that you're wrong, you actually get to, he describes people getting to go and try that. Try and it. after two or three days, they realize this uh, no, I've been, This is terrible. I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake, <laughs> um, to quote a show. Uh, so they, it's just interesting that, that that, even though, of course, that's not heaven, but still they had, that doesn't determine whether they can go into heaven, but they had to have yeah. that experiment. Instead of just saying, oh, it doesn't work that way, come here with me. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, you, yeah, for your own information, yeah. that's right. And so I think the same must be the case with, with couples. That's, that's why... You go through that, even if you've been dwelling together for, for you know, decades or something uh, in spirit, yeah. uh, you still need to go through that overt process. And Swedenborg will make broad declarative statements that sound like they are in every case all yeah, the time, but right. not, oh, this is probably a very complex phenomenon. Yes. And he'll say they dwell together, but what, you know, it could be that there's all kinds of shades of gray where people who were who are close but but may not be compatible in that way forever still dwell together for some reason. Or and sometimes when there's a control issue, the couple will actually be split up, and yeah. you have to make a, a, a date to get together. You know, yeah. it's not you're not living in the same place. You know, right. So I think there's a lot of variety. So th that all aside, though, the core of it is that um, the God already knows how we don't even always realize what's going on with our own deep spirits. Yes, in fact, we almost right. never do. So yeah, this dwelling right. together is not because we cho choose something or we know what's going on. There are deeper realities pulling things together. So if you're together with a spouse, it, you know, the, the coming together and living and learning, that's just so that our minds catch up to where our spirits yes, are. Yes, right. right. So, and I imagine you might even feel that at some point. I never yeah. thought about it before, but you might at some point realize, oh, that's that kind of atmosphere, that, that series of thoughts yeah. and feelings, that was you or something. Right, right, right. Yep. And uh, there's all kinds of dwellings with spirits that we don't even realize. So there's all these other pieces to be, to be sorted out uh, in the way Swedenborg describes the underpinnings of the mind in the first place. So there's a lot to talk about, and, but we're out of uh, time for the oh. questions period. So okay. thanks so much for getting your questions. Thanks, in. everybody. We're now going to go a little deeper uh, into a conversation that was had last week on the show. Uh, our good friend, author Peter Rhodes, got to say a few things about perception and the, the deflation of the ego, which was really cool. We wanted to show you the rest of that conversation. Actually, Chelsea, who's a writer on this show, sat down with Peter for a longer conversation around what we showed in last show. And we wanted to show you the rest of it. So this is kind of the setup where the, mm. they were talking about it. There's some fascinating stuff in here, too. So that's going to be our guest story today is uh, Chelsea and Peter talking more about angelic perception. So we've just defined angelic perception um, as the ability, an angel's ability to be able to perceive, or one way that Swedenborg defines it is an angel's ability to perceive what comes from the Lord and what comes from themselves. And what, and when they they when they know they're in a state that stuff is coming from the Lord, they feel happiness, and when it's coming from themselves, they feel sadness and unhappiness. Mm -hmm. um, and another way he phrases, it, um, another way he phrases it is that uh, it's an ability to know the source of your thoughts and feelings. 
Um, so not only just to know, does it come from the Lord or from myself, but also which uh, community of spirits is it coming from? Um, and, <clears throat> and this whole idea of perception can seem so... Uh, it's just hard to wrap your head around, you know? What, what does he actually mean by perception? What does that even... What does that actually feel like for us who haven't ever experienced it? How would we even know, you know? How do we develop perception? It can feel... Um, so foreign. <clears throat> and so um, I'm going to start by reading this uh, quote from Secrets of Heaven, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. So Swedenborg is saying, several times I have talked about perception with people in the next life who, while they were living in the world, had imagined they could investigate and understand any subject. Angels, I said, perceive that they think and speak and that they will and act from the Lord. The people I was talking to, though, could not comprehend what perception was. They thought that if everything were the, were the result of outside influence like this, it would rob them completely of life, because it would mean never thinking for themselves, never thinking independently, which for them was life. It would mean that someone else was thinking for them and not they themselves, so they would be mere instruments devoid of life. And then Swedenborg says, the difference in quality of life between having perception and not having it, I pointed out, is like night and day. You first start to live your own life when you receive this perception, because you then live from the Lord. You then enjoy a sense of individuality as well, which comes to you replete with every happiness and joy. And so I've been reading your book, Observing Spirit, um, and I this quote really reminded me of an idea that you talk about in there that I guess comes from the language of the work, which is real eye versus imaginary eye and just this whole idea that actually we might have this continuous sense of ourself but really we're this multiplicity of eyes and and then there's you know different qualities there and so what so anyway i'd love for you to speak about sort of the real versus the imaginary eye and how it can be that actually what we've always thought of as ourself there might actually be this higher potential in there <laughs> maybe <clears throat> Yeah, I would say what Swedenborg said is my experience that, and I think everyone experiences that. Mm -hmm. uh, he called it angelic perception. The angels don't want you to perceive it as their thoughts. They want you to perceive their thoughts as, as if your they're own. yours. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the hells are always in your face. They, they want you to hear them. They want you to see them. They want you to have an imagination of the future or the past. So you have this quiet. And at first, you say, well, nothing's going on. But then gradually, I start to observe that what my monkey mind said I was going to do this afternoon, I start to pay attention and find out I didn't end up doing that at all. Mm -hmm. And then I start to pay attention to, well, what's, what's leading me? It's not the mind, which I think in the, right, in the word is Pharaoh. You know, he says he's God, but he's not. The thinking mind hasn't been doing anything except bothering me. We're praising me on occasion. It's, but that's false. It's just not true. That's not what my life's about. That's not, that's not running my life. Mm -hmm. So what's running my life? I could say it's the doer. If you want to, well, who's the doer? It's yeah. God through the inflow of heaven. Yeah, and that, <clears throat> that's awesome. I feel like there's like the, the incoming information from, from ego, from hell, from ourself mm -hmm. is so seems so substantial to us it seems like that's what we've been wearing as our clothes as our right. sense of self and then so it feels like we're letting go of that into 
into some void, yes. you know, but when you actually let, the more you take the risk of, I'm just going to let go of this because I, there's some part of me that knows better, then you can start to trust that there actually is this guidance that's there that, and that angelic, um, nearness that can be helping you yes and not only do i trust it at first it's i trust it's there mm-hmm that would say and i think the swedenborg say you stop identifying yourself as this body mind organism mm-hmm. you stop identifying your opinions as the opinions that come to you right off immediately mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. walks into a room and you have a bad opinion or a good opinion mm-hmm. well it used to be i thought oh i didn't think well of that person no an opinion just flew by <laughs> yeah. and you, uh, you don't have to believe it <laughs> yeah so if you don't identify with that and you don't identify with any thoughts about yourself or the world in regard to yourself well then what's the point in life oh the point in life is just starting to emerge <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. suddenly you'll find yourself having had a good time and yeah. you reflect on it and say, oh, I was at the thrift shop as a volunteer, and I suddenly got caught up in helping somebody with something, <laughs> and I helped them take it out, and we had a nice interaction. I wasn't present. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what heaven is about. It's about the affections that are heavenly and about the neighbor and helpful. When they flow through you, you're in heaven. Yeah. And when thoughts about yourself and the world flow, you're in hell, because hell is thoughts about myself and the world for myself and having their thoughts and feelings that already exist in the spiritual world the world mm-hmm. of thoughts and feelings about the lord and the neighbor mm. okay, and when i get caught into that i'm in the flow there's not a thought in the world about myself and then i reflect back and that yeah, i had a really good day yeah <laughs> why because peter wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually something else that's another idea that you talk about in this book that goes that I wanted to bring up, which is this idea of us as actually um, receiving life, where we're, we're in one flow or another, and and uh, and that that can be mind-boggling to people because it is like, well, wait, where did I go? You know, who am I if I'm nothing but just the input that's coming in to me? Right. And you you use the analogy of a telephone, mm-hmm. and and this is just something that Swedenborg wrote, writes in um, Divine Providence 308 about this idea. He says, almost everyone believes that we think and intend autonomously and therefore talk and act autonomously. Can we on our own believe anything else when the appearance is so convincing that it scarcely differs at all from really thinking, intending, speaking, and acting autonomously? Yet this is impossible. We are life receivers. By creation and under divine providence, constantly since then, life seems to be within us exactly as though it belonged to us, as though it were ours, but that this is only the way it seems in order that we may be receivers the only conclusion we can draw from all this is that everything we think and intend is flowing into us since this is our actual state what is our self our self is not really one or another kind of receiver since it's nothing but the quality of its own receptivity so that sounds very philosophical but like bring it back to a telephone I like to use a microphone. Is yeah. A microphone. If the microphone attributes the talk to itself. Yeah. And after after all, it's making the sound. Really, this guy yeah. behind it. You know, I don't know what he's doing behind me. He's always behind me, but I'm making the sound, and it hears what it says. And if it attributed that to itself, it'd be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, you're you're magnifying something that's flowing into you. Well, you are an instrument that receives influx from God through the heavens and from hell the loves of self and loves of God and you receive those influxes you're the instrument and you magnify it with your actions with your thoughts but you're just like the the 
you know, I'm sorry, the phone. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. You're just an instrument. Mm-hmm. And the writings say that the life in everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. It's the receiving vessel that makes the difference. Your vessel is different. Your background is different. Your experience is different. Your gender is different. Mm-hmm. So, but what you're receiving is the same. So the life coming into you is the same life as mine. My life and your life are the same. Mm-hmm. There's only one life. Now your vessel is different than mine. So it looks like we're different. We are different in terms of vessel, but we're not different in terms of life. We're the one life. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, who's the real self? <clears throat> well, I don't want to shock you, but the real self is God. Mm-hmm. You mean the life that I'm manifesting is God's life? Yeah, God is the all of everything. Mm-hmm. And gradually through the process of life, he brings you to receive that life, knowing I couldn't do the things I'm doing. God's doing it, but it sure feels like me. Thank you, God. And mm-hmm. then there's a conjunction between who? The human and the divine. That's the very end. The descent as a bride adorned for her husband is the consent of the human and the divine so you start to feel oh, the lord is in me and i'm in the lord and we are one that's what jesus says may they know they mm-hmm. multiplicity know that they are in me and i am in them and we are one so that oneness of the conjunction is then there's peace there is no god outside you there's no god you're trying to live according to his rules your life is him in a finite very unique form and the writings say that every human being is an affection of God's infinite love. Mm-hmm. You are an affection. I have an affection for an apple. I have an affection for roast beef. They're not the same. The effect, I'm the same, but the affection differs. So mm-hmm. you are God's affection. And when you've gone through this process, you will be the one and only unique expression of that affection of God. And in regard to God loving that affection, he'll love you the most says God's love is such that he loves everyone the most. What does that mean? I love my daughter Natasha as Natasha the most. Mm-hmm. And Darren as Darren the most. But I don't love Darren more than Tasha. Tasha, no, they're, they're entirely different. So we're in that relation. We're in a very special relationship with the divine. He created us a vessel. And we didn't create our own vessel. Mm-hmm. To uniquely receive him and manifest him. And in the manifestation of him, we have a conjunction of him in us, through us. And that conjunction is called the conjunction of love. So I think that's why we're here. So much cool stuff in there. Uh, people being a different affection of God. There's so many things we go into. We don't have any time. I would say, hey man, you want to pick up Peter's book? He wrote it. Uh, it's on Swedenborg.com. There's a good old-fashioned plug for that thing if you want to peer a little more into That's his cool. mind. Thanks to Chelsea and thanks to all of you for asking your qu- for answering the question earlier in the show because we're going to get to those answers right now. It's time for part six, Ice Melter. Took a little longer for the ice to melt than usual. Let's see what you guys had to say about the question. Which, do you remember the question? It, it was, uh, when is debate useful? Yes. When, when is, is it, it not, not useful? Okay, That's so this right. is what the chat had to say about all that. 
Debate is useful when it sticks to the truth. Mm. I guess it's useful when people aren't emotionally overcharged or manipulating others. Okay. It is useful when participants are genuinely seeking information on others' views. Right? Why are you here yeah, in the first that's place? Right. Debate is useful when both sides learn something about the opposing point of view. That's right. Nice. It's not useful when the other side is hell. Mm. If the other side wants to hurt people, there is no debate. <laughs> They're wrong. That's right. When you are knowledgeable about the subject and not based on emotion. Mm. Debate is useful when it is done with the purpose to reach understanding and the best alternative option to pick. Mm. Right. Remembering yeah, the there's some usefulness you're working on. Yeah. Totally. Remembering the difference between zeal and anger. Anger is never useful in a debate. Ah. Debate is useful when minds are open to learning. Debate fails when minds are closed. Right. Winning a debate does not make someone right. There is only one truth. If debating it for the pursuit of truth and increasing your aim at the truth, then it's useful. Right. Debating is pointless if someone is just looking for justification of their static beliefs. That's right. I think debate is useful when all sides involved are coming from a place of fairness and maturity and working towards an understanding where all sides affected have a chance of input toward a solution. Mm. This is all great. This is awesome. awesome. Debate is useful when both parties are open-minded and understanding of one another's point of view. Probably a, a good thing debating, but it generally hasn't been positive for me. I like discussions. Ah, they are awesome. Good distinction. Debate is Who useful is as it <laughs> gives more parties a chance to speak their mind. Democracy. Mm -hmm. I think debate is useful when the, to the audience if they perceive the concepts of the arguments in a positive way. And then finally, I think debate is good. Politics, religion, and what foods to eat, etc. As long as people are open to looking at other ways and then deciding what is best for themselves. I hate it when it gets nasty and dogmatic. Yeah. Debate is useful when it is done with humility and having the best interest of the person in mind. It shouldn't be used to prove I know more or I am better, but for the sake of truth and love. Nicely put. Yeah. As used in Buddhist training, debate is a way of sharpening your understanding. Ah, nice. So what's the point of it? What's the use? Yeah. What's the function? That's there right. are some awesome answers. Awesome answers. So great well having done. you all along for the ride here. Great having you as well, Dr. Great Jonathan Rhodes. If you want these kind of discussions to continue, please like and subscribe because that gets it so that people on the rest of YouTube will see this. Please click the bell on subscribe if you haven't. And if you want to perpetuate the ability for these kinds of things to be manifested, Consider making a donation. The easiest way to do it, we're a nonprofit. We need donations to do stuff like this. The easiest way to do it is join us on Patreon. That's, That's right. where you'll, contri you'll contribute a small amount per month, and in and thanks, we'll give you these little rewards. Like we have some behind the scenes kind of stuff, blasts from the past, just a little, you know. It's cool, and it's really just a way for us to say thanks so much for making this happen, bringing this material to the next people. So, uh, it's been great. I already said it, but I'll say it again. Thanks, everybody. Next week, we're going to be delving into the meaning of the world around us, into the spiritual language that nature speaks. We're going to understand mm. how, what does a mountain say to our soul and how could it improve the condition of the human race. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I'm interested to see what they I come up with for that. Out. All right. We'll see you then. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>